we've, we were talking Wednesday night in our, in our message about the man who was sick for 38 years at the pool of Bethsaida. And you remember that these people are laying around this mat, on these mats, on these five porches, and they're, they're laying there and, and, and sick, and there's this pool that the story goes, and I don't know if it actually happened or they just believed it, but they said the angel of the Lord would stir the waters, and whoever was first in would be healed. And for 38 years, this guy couldn't be first, right? He's getting up, whatever his leg, he's hobbling, and oh, not again, right? So we talked about that, that. But he had got to where when Jesus came and he's facing the Son of God and he offers to heal him, he first wants to talk about the fact that for 38 years he couldn't make it first, right? And sometimes we, we waller in our ministry so much, if I can use Arkansas terminology, we waller in our misery so much that it becomes part of our life and we just accept it. And, and it can be challenges that God's put in front of us that we quit going to him about. You know, I've had this ailment or I've had this challenge or I've had this addiction and we just get to where that's what life is going to be. And like that man, he just got to the point where that's all he could see life being. Well, if you want to turn your Bibles uh, to the book of Judges, chapter 6, we're not going to talk about the same message we did Wednesday, but there is a common thread. We talked about what happens when you just you begin to accept that that's what your life is going to be, whatever challenge it is. And today we're going to talk about when you finally start to expect God to do something new. Joshua, I'm sorry, Judges chapter 6, and uh, we're going to hit different verses in there, but if you just uh, be there at, at chapter 6, we'll be okay. Well, Before we get into the story, we really need to set it up by quickly looking at uh, a little bit of detail of the story. And one is Israel's judges. You know, Many times I've told you God never intended for us to have kings on this earth. God always wanted to be our king as to have righteous judges who among us could help lead us physically before us, but God be our king. But man, the children of Israel always had to push for a king, right? And so we look at Israel's judges and their cycles that the children of Israel went through in their lives where they kept dealing with the same trouble over and over, and then the enemies they faced. See, after Joshua, we remember Moses led the children of Israel, they led them to the promised land, but because Moses disobeyed and struck the rock and water came out instead of speaking to it, Moses never went in, but Joshua, who's more of a military leader, took over. Well, Joshua had established the tribes of Israel in the promised land, and then he died. And instead of appointing another main military leader, God, who would occasionally, he'd occasionally rise up uh, men or women uh, called judges to, to lead segments of the Israelites against local enemies. So, so not the same capacity as a judge we see now where they sit and just hear cases all day long, make decisions, but they uh, also led them uh, against enemies. So the very fact that they had to fight these enemies was due to their own disobedience at times. Uh, nevertheless, God was gracious and would provide them with the necessary leadership to get them back on track, but even then, the leaders were less than they should have been. We see through the judges where this one did evil in the sight of the Lord, or this one wasn't good, and there's, there's a lot of bad ones. So then we look at these cycles that the children of Israel going through. Uh, this period of the judges, it, it can be known as one of the lowest times in Israel's history. And the last verse of, of the book says it all when it says in, in um, chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Each man did what he considered to be right. You see that happening when there's a lack of strong leadership. We can see it in our nation. If there's a lack of strong leadership, people default to begin to do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. 
if you've ever witnessed to someone who has been involved in satanic worship, part of their, their mantra from their verses is actually, just like we read Scripture, one of the things that they would tell you is um, each man should do what's right in his own eyes. It's, it's something that's a lie the devil tells us, that we should be able to do whatever we want. So this book records seven cycles of sin that spanned about 300 years. So when you think about the short history of the United States and all that's been crammed into our history, uh, you can imagine they had this, this thick history, 300 years of these cycles of sin, and, and which would result in bondage many times by a pagan nation and then uh, resulted in misery. And God would raise up one of the judges and call them to bring the people back. So it would result in repentance and deliverance and rest, some revival. But then, just when life started to get easier, back to compromise and disobedience they go. So we just see these cycles over and over. But then we, we have to see the enemies that they're facing. And this is kind of the setting that we get into with Gideon, the story of Gideon, um, that he was one of these local judges raised up by God and, uh, to deliver these local uh, Israelites uh, out of captivity. And they were being oppressed by a group called the Midianites and the Amalekites. We see in Judges 6 and 3. So I'm moving kind of faster because I just want to give you this basic what they're dealing with. Um, the Midianites were nomadic people. They just traveled around and they'd wait until the people of Israel had finished planting their crops and then they would sweep down upon them and stealing their crops and herds and then they'd destroy whatever they couldn't take with them. It, it reminds me if you've ever watched National Geographic, right? You know, you're getting and you get excited and there's the lion and it's going and it captures the gazelle and, and it's beginning to eat what it captured and then all of a sudden here comes the hyenas. You know, hyenas, they do kill on their own, but a lot of times they go after what's already been killed. Uh, they don't want to work for it, right? So we get the idea of this enemy, kind of like the hyenas. They're waiting until the hard work's been done, then they sweep in and want to steal and destroy whatever they can. So this goes on for seven years. And it was starting to get a little old, and so the people, like they've done in the other cycles, they cry out to God for deliverance, and so God called on one of his people, and he called on Gideon. So with all these things in mind, we're now ready for the, the main story. When you think of a superhero, what do you think of? Yes, Superman. What does Superman have that's so super? Strong, right? He's strong. Faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? Man of steel. We think of strength. Um, generally, we think of someone with great intellect or personal charisma, you know, handsome or beautiful, whatever, uh, enormous wealth. It's like a thing I saw on the Internet one time that said, with all these billionaires we have in the world and not one of them has decided to become Batman. I mean, really, you know? They got the resources, why not? Batcave, the special devices, all that. Batman doesn't really have superpowers, right? So, you know, it's a little frustrating. Everybody's calling out for a hero in this world, and we've got these people with the resources that won't do it. But our hero today had none of these. He started out as a, a bitter, frustrated, weak farmer. But he was transformed into a warrior in the most unlikely fashion. You see, he experienced personal revival. This fascinating story of Gideon can show us how God can, can take us from being timid and scared um, of the enemy and just trying to provide for ourselves, just trying to make things work, just trying to make ends meet, and he literally turn us into a spiritual superhero. 
So stay with me. We're going to get some application for our lives out of this. The first thing we need to see first, though, is Gideon starts out as a coward. What, what the story starts out with is Gideon is in a wine press. So how many of you seen a movie where they're smashing the grapes, right? Now, whether it was wood or stone, he's in some kind of contraption where he's down out of sight and he's threshing wheat, which doesn't make sense. Wine presses are for grapes and making wine, but he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And Judges 6.11 pretty much says it all. It says, the Lord's angelic messenger came and sat down under the oak tree in Oprah and owned by the Joash the Abizrite. And he arrived while Joash's son Gideon was threshing the wheat in the winepress so he could hide it from the Midianites. So here with Gideon, it's not exactly a picture of strength. It's not a picture of a superhero. He's hiding out so the enemy can't see him so he can thresh the wheat. He's hiding down in the wine press. Now, they usually used an open, flat place to thresh wheat because the wind would carry away the shaft. They made the process easier. So, so he's working extra hard because he doesn't have the, the help of the wind to take away the chaff. But this picture is not the superhero that you would expect. He's defeated. He's a discouraged man. He's filled with doubts and fears and not only was he in the wine press physically, but spiritually and emotionally too. So uh, Gideon appearing as this timid, frustrated, bitter man, and while being challenged to deliver Israel, he said to the angel of the Lord in Judges 6.13, Gideon said to him, Pardon me, but if the Lord is with us, why such disaster overtaken us? Where are all the miraculous deeds our ancestors told us about? What's he talking about? What's the miraculous deeds he's talking about well we mentioned you got moses getting the children of israel out of captivity from pharaoh right and they go across the red sea and the the sea closes up on the enemy and then you got joshua you got all these things that god challenged them tell your kids you know right on the back of your hands don't let generations go without learning what i've done for them because they'll soon forget and here is a product gideon is saying listen god hasn't shown up in a long time not like he did for our ancestors if he's really coming to save us, then why hasn't this stuff been happening? And I think many times we do the same thing in our lives with the Lord. We hear about revivals. Like you could talk about Azusa Street when the Pentecostal movement began and how the power of God, people just walked in and their knees would buckle under the presence of God who hadn't even been in church, who hadn't had any experience with God. He had judges ordering people either jail or that church. And that church will straighten you out, but jail will keep you from doing it again. Right or keep you from being out where you can do it again. I mean, you have the Welsh revival. Some of you remember in a previous message when I talked about revivals. Mining towns where the, the old rough, roughneck miners were so rough characters that they had trained their donkeys to obey commands using curse words. And when the power of God hit them in the revival, they wouldn't cuss anymore, and the mines had to shut down because they couldn't retrain the donkeys fast enough because nobody would curse at them. So you've got these incredible times when the power of God interacts with man, and literally disrupts everything. But it takes some boldness. What, what contributes? So, so he's talking about what happened in the past. And then he said, did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. And some of us are still waiting for God to do what he did in the past. We're so stuck in the past that we can't see that he wants to do something new in the future. God is the God of new beginnings. 
We keep talking about the good old days, you know, how things used to be in church. That's not what God wants. In fact, the scripture says it's foolish to do that. Because he's not a God of yesterday. He's a God of today and tomorrow, right? He, he's always the same. He's always been the same. He's done great things, but he wants to do something new. And, and sometimes we're, we're, you know, if you've ever met someone, and I've been this person, where they spend a lot of time when you first get to know them talking about all their experience in the past and who they've been. It, it's like this effort to try to set the standard. You've got to understand, I may have some oddities, but here's all of my experiences I've been through, and this is why. And I'm not saying that's bad, but sometimes someone who can't get off the past, they've got to always spend their time in conversation with people about where they've been and what's happened and why they are the way they are. It's because they have no expectation that anything will change. They've lost the hope that they could ever be anything different than they've been in the past. That that is their identifier. They identify themselves with what has happened in the past, not what God can do with them from that point on. And, and so you... I've done that, and you get so sucked in with, if I can just explain to everybody all the hurts I've gone through. You know, some people uh, will call me checking out new song. They've seen the website or, or uh, our sign when I don't change it because it's cold and it still is talking about January. And You know, they'll call and say, hey, when is your services? Because your sign's off, you know, and, and they'll call. And sometimes in the first five minutes, I hear all about the hurts about the last church. Now, listen, I'm not insensitive. I've, I, I, y'all know, a lot of you know me. 18 years now ago, I told my mom I'd never step foot in church again. And God proved me wrong. So I hear that, but what I realize is they have lost hope and expectation that God can do something new for them. It's all about what's already happened and the hurts. And so Gideon is in that spot. Gideon's arguing with the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord saying, this is what God wants to do. And he's saying, hey, listen, if God wanted to do that, then he would have done what he's been doing in the past. So Gideon, what, con- what contributed to his cowardice? It was a lack of expectancy that God still does what he has done in the past. The miracles, and he's timid. So Gideon's living this life of frustration. He was frustrated with God for not doing what he's done in the past, and he resorted to hiding out to save his own possessions. In addition to the frustration, Gideon felt that he had nothing to offer to help improve things. And we do that a lot. God, it's really miserable right now. You need to send somebody. You need to send a new president. You need to send something. You need to rescue us. And God's saying, I've been talking to you to get you to do what I want you to do because you're part of the answer. I'm trying to stir you up. I'm trying to create superheroes on my people, spiritual superheroes that will step out and change their nation, change their land. But I don't do it through, I don't always do it through the main leader. Sometimes I do it through just simple people like this farmer, this Gideon. So he told the Lord's angel in Judges 6.15, Gideon said to him, but Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Just look, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So he starts blaming others then. God, you know, our church is meeting in this thing that looks like an oversized shoebox, and, you know, the awnings are tattered, and, you know, we've been renting for so long that it's just a way of life now. And You know, we go through it. You know, in your job, whatever it is, God, I'm never going to get out of this factory. I'm never going to get... And so he's saying, look, my clan is weak, the weakest... And I am the youngest in my family. And you've got the wrong guy. You need a hardened warrior to do this. I've already mentioned how many times in my office I've stared at this bank package that we're putting together to start shopping banks for our financing. And I just feel overwhelmed. I'm just staring at the screen. Like, God, you've got the wrong guy for this. You've got to find somebody who has the skills for this. 
So we have to ask ourselves honestly, are we hiding down in a wine press, threshing wheat, and afraid to go public with our faith in God? Afraid to do the task that God wants us to do? And listen, this is exactly the reason that sometimes you're asking yourself inside, Pastor CJ says you need to come down to the altars, and nobody moves. And you're like, he doesn't understand. I can pray right here. Or my knees are bad, or this or that. And, and those are you know, physical ailments. That's, a, that's valid. But, but the reason I say that is not for effect, not to pump me up or make us feel like we have it's because what i have realized in my own life if i will sit still and not react when i've got the support of believers i'm not going to do it in the face of the enemy and i'm not going to do it in the face of unbelievers i'm not going to stand strong i'm not going to be courageous in those moments if i can't be courageous when i've got all that kind of support so I challenge you in those ways, not as a way to, for effect for a service, because I don't believe that your Christian walk all hinges on this time together. I believe the meat of it should be in your private prayer closets at home and reading the Word and growing in Him yourselves. And this is to come together and be strengthened to add on to that. But if you are timid and scared and hiding in the wine press when you're in a church service surrounded by people who believe like you, then you know what's going to happen when you're challenged at work by an unbelieving boss or an unbelieving coworker or family member. Gideon was frustrated, disappointed, timid, afraid. And a lot of times it's like students, some of you that are in school. This year, some of you may lose friends that you had last year. You'll be in a class that's really hard, encounter a teacher who is, so, who is irritable. I remember in Bible college, I wanted to take my philosophy class in a in a non-Christian environment, so I took it at the U of A, and I had to get an atheist for my philosophy pr- professor, and it was just me and him. The other 40 people in the room stayed quiet the whole time, but me and him back and forth, and I got a great grade, and, and we gained respect from each other because God gave me the courage to stand in the face of adversity. And so, you know, uh, students, you may uh, meet people that's just going to try to make your life hard or sweep in and steal what you've worked so hard for. And in these situations, bitterness and disappointment and focus on, on what's happened bad in the past. You know, young married, singles, you know, be asked to do things at, at work that put you at odds with the coworkers. Listen, you pray for the favor of God at work, but when it happens, guess what? Those people who see the favor of God on you, who don't want to follow God, will become jealous and want to oppress you. Your boss is showing you favor because you're working as unto the Lord, and everybody else sees that favor, and they don't like it. You're going to meet those kind of challenges. All of us could go down all the examples, but we can end up being bitter, disappointed, frustrated. Now, I could just tell you to make a decision to refrain from frustration and that can lead to bitterness. I could give you some self-help tips. There are, pretty, there are a lot of Christian books that are just self-help books. I could give you some of those. I could tell you to focus on the Lord and not, to, not on the odds against you. But really, what was it that began to transform this coward hiding in the wine press? What was it that turned him into a superhero? And let me tell you, there's one answer. It was a personal encounter with God. And that's what we need every time we meet together. That's what you need every time you pray, every time you read the Word. You need a personal, powerful encounter with God. Listen to me for a minute. Don't lose me here because my desire is not for any personal gain from this, from this role God's called me into. I've just asked God that I don't do it for no reason. I've asked God that I make a difference. And that means spiritual growth of everyone in here. And if we don't get out of our comfort zone and let God begin to raise us up into those spiritual superheroes, we're going to get complacent and just feel like there's all there is to being a Christian is sitting in a pew once or twice a week 
listening to a message, deciding whether we liked it or not, looking on the calendar of events, and it's nothing but a club. God is challenging us. And Gideon met the same thing. He had gotten settled into the oppression and, and he lost hope. But it's this powerful encounter with God. Some of us have been thrashing around down in the wine press for far too long. The Midianites have been winning and we've suffered and our family has suffered. The church has suffered. But we need that God encounter to get out of it. I've told this once before. I think it's been a couple years ago. Some of you, it'll be old and some new, but heard about five-year-old little Johnny. He uh, had a fear of the dark. And so he was really hungry. And his mom had been trying to get him over. Uh, they were believers. She's been trying to get him over the fear. And so the kitchen light was off and the switch wasn't right by the door. And he opened and saw how dark it was. He went to his mom. Mom, can you get me a can of soup out of there? Can you get me something to eat? And she said, Johnny, Jesus is with you all the time. He'll be with you. Just go in and get it. Johnny went over there. He opened the door and he said, Hey, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me a can of soup? <laughs> and, and the truth is, while that's funny, that's how many of us approach our faith in God, right? It's like I can run to the Facebook and get some people to make it better for me, some other Christians, rather than waiting on God for answer in prayer and intercession. Right? If I can just get to feeling better about this situation, get a little bit of help from my friends, nothing wrong with that for them to encourage you, but sometimes we're running there and we're not running to God. And we're afraid. And we're down the wine press. And we can't, we can't see that God is sending His angels. He's doing everything He can to pull us out to make us a, a solution to the problem and not let us just sit there and wait on someone else to solve it for us. We're saying, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me what I need? Another picture we see here of Gideon after the coward is he starts to become the challenger. It's not an instant thing. Um, it was one thing to meet God in the secrecy of their wine press, but quite another to stand up for the Lord in public ways. And so we'll see that. Gideon began to make a difference right at home, though, because, see, he comes from a family, there's idolatry going on. And so he cleans up the idolatry. In chapter 6, verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take the bull from your father's herd as well as a second bull one that is seven years old. The significance of that is he's short-falling. See, that bull could be a proponent for more calves. And it's not just the first fruits. He's asking for a double portion and a young one. So this is a significant expense. And so he said, pull down your father's Baal altar and cut down the nearby Asherah pole, both pagan gods. Now here's my favorite part of this part of the story. Chapter 6, verse 26. Then build an altar for the Lord your God on top of this stronghold according to the proper pattern. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt sacrifice on the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. You're going to burn the sacrifice for me out of the precious wood that was used to make the pagan idol. There's going to be nothing left, but it's going to be an offering to me. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did just as the Lord told him. But here's the thing. This is why we know it's a process and why we should be relieved that, that when we don't immediately change and it's a process, we should feel comforted by his story because he was too afraid of his father's family and so uh, the men he chose, they went out at night instead of during the day. And they snuck around to do it. So even though he was still fearful, he was willing to take the risk right at home. 
And God will push you and He'll stretch you. It, it's just like us trying to build a $1.1 million building for $600,000 and only borrow $500,000. To me, there's a big God factor. And, and that's why He does things like that. He does it so He stretches you. And so He's at the point where He's stretching Him and He's beginning to make changes. And so He, he goes after Him and He gets rid of the idolatry. The ga- great thing about this, this risk-taking, is that it inspires others to move out in faith because here is what happened. First, I want to tell you about an example of this more in modern times. For the longest time, no one could run a four-minute mile. They've been trying to do it ever since the days of the ancient Greeks. Someone found the old records of how the Greeks tried to accomplish this. They had wild animals chase runners, hoping that would make them run faster. Now listen, I'm a, li- I'm a little more than a little overweight, and I used to be able to run fast, but if I had a cheetah chasing me, I just might break a new record for myself, even in my skinny days. And they tried tiger's milk. Surely tiger's milk. I mean, they're strong, they're fast, so we'll try tiger's milk. And it still didn't work. Nothing worked, so they decided it was physically impossible for a human to run a mile in four minutes. Our bone structure, maybe it's all wrong, or the wind resistance was too great, our lung power was inadequate, they had looked and researched and you know, all these centuries, nothing. And there are a million reasons why no one can run a four-minute mile. But one day, one human being proved that the doctors, the trainers, the athletes, the ancients, all of them were wrong. And miracle of all miracles, the year after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, and after year after year, that 300 runners broke the four-minute mile. Now, why is it for all that time nobody could break the four-minute mile? One guy breaks through the barrier, and then 300 more follow. See, not only do modern-day Gideons overcome their cowardice, but they live their lives in such a way that they challenge others to do their best. And I'm challenging you today, if you want to see God really move a new song, you be a Gideon. You can't win any battles down in the wine press. You, you've got to come out to the open and take your stand. You, people need someone to rally behind as God's will is pursued. Now listen, I have questioned God so many times about why he's called me to pastor this church. I mean, missionary sounded easy to me. Send me to Afghanistan and I'll get back in shape and I'll backpack into the most dangerous places. That's exciting to me. But pastoring a church, being a PK and knowing what that involves, Lord, I was scared to death. I would rather be with bullets flying over my head sometimes than the things I deal with as pastors. You're like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Emotional things. When you're dealing with people through hard things. It's tough because you know God's dependent on you to do it. And so I get it. God's asked you to be a superhero in your own realm and whatever you're doing in the spiritual realm, and it's scary. And it's tough. And you'd almost rather be shot at than to do it. It's like we were talking about, I think it was Wednesday night, that they say the statistics have always been that the top fear people have is speaking in public, and second to that has always been death. So people would rather die than to speak in public. So sometimes your fears can be so great, death is is a better option. So the third thing we need to see before we wrap up this sermon is Gideon, the conqueror, because we need to see what God did, the victory. Well, with victory under his belt, Gideon issued a call across Israel to arms, and they responded, and they came, and Gideon began to get a little nervous and it was one, one thing for a farmer to say he was going to lead an army into battle. It was another thing for a, a farmer to actually lead an army into battle. 
And especially when 32,000 men showed up, sounds great, but the enemy had 135,000. 32,000 to 135,000. And so our, our hero got into a little discussion with God and he says this, tell you what, God, if this is what you really want me to do, uh, you have to give me a sign. So here's what we're going to do. And so I'll, I'll, uh, for sake of time, I'll just tell you. He takes a fleece. He puts it on the ground. He says, God, if I wake up and the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know this is really you. He gets up in the morning. The fleece is so wet, he wrings it out into a bowl, enough to fill a bowl. And like we do many times, okay, that could have been coincidence. God, tomorrow, if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, I'll know it's you, right? <laughs> we do that. And so if you hear the terminology, putting a fleece before God, it comes from this passage. It's not encouraged. It's just there to say, this is what God. So God was gracious to Gideon, and he responded to his fleece test. Um, so he goes on, and, and, and that happens. And <clears throat> so God is very mysterious how he answers some days. Gideon again prays and says, I don't want to get annoying here, God, but let me try it the other way. And so he, he tests him again. But the thing is that Gideon was continually conversing with God. He didn't shut God out. He didn't say, that's too scary. I'm going to quit listening. I'm going to quit praying about that. But he kept going back to God. So this fleece was all about his fear, his doubt, his timidity. And, and already knew that he already knew really in his heart what God wanted him to do. And and you gotta remember, this is Old Testament. So those of you who who study enough know when New Testament comes, Jesus dies on the cross, there's new covenant, right? And then Jesus, before he sends, he says, I'm gonna send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, that may you may receive power and be my witnesses. So these same people that saw Jesus crucified, his followers, were scared to death and hiding out, and then they get filled with the Holy Spirit, with evidence speaking tongues, and they're empowered, and they'll go all the way to their deaths, even if it meant being burned in oil alive. So, so a complete change around. So Gideon is not experiencing that. This is still a time where the Holy of Holies, God's present, resides behind a big curtain. And yet Gideon was being uh, charged up. The Spirit of God was moving on him. So having clearly determined the will of God, Gideon became a challenger. And this is where the story gets really interesting because he has these 32,000 against 135, which makes for any good war movie anyway. And... He calls for the able-bodied men, but then God tests him through a couple of tests with the men and says it's too many, and God reduces it down to 10,000. Now, if I was Gideon, I'd be saying, okay, Lord. In fact, I was talking to somebody about this. Sometimes I'm doing that. I'm raising, What's up with this? I'm on the way to do ministry. The car breaks down. Come on, God. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to do something here for you, and you're pulling the, the chair out from under me. So Gideon is down to 10,000 men. But you see, here's what I know about this, is God doesn't just want a God factor in there. He wants the spread so far apart that when he answers in a miraculous way, you can't take credit for it. Nobody can. It has to be God. When he does something really miraculous, it's, it's enough spread in it. So when we look at like our, our new campus, and I start looking at it, and I saw the looks on people's faces when we talk numbers, and, and they're looking around at how many people we got in the church. I'm like, Pastor, I don't know what you think I make, but... I'm going to pray for your mind because you're losing it, right? But I know God can do great things. And so we, we go through this, but, but this is what Gideon's probably going through, but he carries on. 
And, and you see, God wanted to do this God thing. And Gideon wanted to do this man thing. And you really can't blame Gideon for that. We go through it all the time. But God said, you have too many warriors. And when they win, they are going to think they did it all by themselves in Judges 7-2. So tell them, whoever's afraid can go home. Now, I'm not to Gideon's point, so I'm not going to say this morning, whoever thinks we can't do the building, go ahead and leave. That would be, that would be bad. But Gideon, God moves on Gideon, and so Gideon gets up and makes the announcement, and that this is before it gets to 10,000, but it goes 22,000, and, and then just like that, leaving Gideon with 10,000. And so Gideon's kind of got this, his head, trying to get his head wrapped around this, and, and God keeps saying too many. So when it, we're going to cut some of the story out, and you'll need to read this chapter on your own to kind of get a little more of it, but what happens is then some of the men go, and some of the enemy has bad dreams, and and God does a miraculous thing, and they defeat him. But Gideon ends up this great military leader from a guy who's down in a wine press, afraid of the enemy, just trying to thrash out some grain for his family, hiding out. And we read these stories, and there's so much time and distance between us and them that we're like, I, I, this is like reading a fairy tale, Pastor CJ. It's not my life. That's what Gideon was saying. Remember, there's been times in the Bible where there's hundreds of years where God didn't do a miracle. And so they were saying the same things we do. God, if you're still around, why can't you just come down in a cloud physically before us and start smiting all the bad people, you know? And why can't you just give us the president we want? Why can't you just give us this? Why can't you do that? Jesus came to earth, and he tried to perform miracles, and there's still unbelievers. In fact, in his hometown, it says he didn't perform a lot there because people are like, I know who you are. I know your family. I don't think you're some... God so we tend to shortcut God we think he can't do it because he hasn't been doing it at least in our mind and so it's hard to beat the next text in Judges 7 15 through 22 when Gideon heard the report of the dream and its interpretation um, this is when they heard the enemy it says, get up for the Lord is handing the Midianite army over to you. And he divided 300 men into three units, gave them all trumpets and empty jars with torches inside them. He said to them, watch me as, and do as I do. Watch closely. I'm going to the edge of the camp. Do as I do. And when, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, you also blow your trumpet all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, if you're there, be like, what am I going to do? Sling the trumpet at them when they run at me? Give me a stinking sword and give me a, a shield. I don't have time to hold a trumpet. This isn't band class. And so he's, he's getting frustrated, right? But he, he, tells the, he tells the people anyway. He follows through with God. And so they blew the trumpets and held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right. And then they yelled a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And they stood in order all around the camp the whole army ran away. They shouted as they scrambled away. And when the 300 men blew their trumpets, the Lord caused the Midianites to attack one another with their swords throughout the camp. They start fighting each other in the commotion. They're getting up like, who's the bad guy, right? And what comedy it must have been. These guys, not only going back to sing the victory march, what God did, they're laughing. These guys kicked their own tails. We didn't have to do anything. We went and played a little music for them while they did it. You see, God's looking for a Gideon today. And so many of us want to wait till God spells it all out for us. He tells us the method. It's got to make sense. It's got to be in the right timing, God. 
It's got it's to fit my schedule. It's got to fit my wants, my desires. And God's saying, I need you to be willing to just get your head out of the wine press, face the enemy, and I'll do the rest. And you don't have to have any great resources. You don't have to have 135,000 men or you don't have to have double their men. I can do it with just a few. Trust me. And how does this story work in our lives today? What great things can we do? Well, first of all, stop forgetting about what God has done in the past and start expecting what he will do in the future. And that's exactly why I, I titled this message Hide and Seek or Expect the Enemy or Expect the Enemy's Defeat. We can play hide and seek with the enemy, or we can go with God and expect their defeat. Gideon, he had a promise to believe, God's word. He had an altar to build, and, and that represents the communion that we have with God, the, the, the fellowship with God. He had a vessel to break. That, that's our fears. A lamp to burn and, and to live what we believe. And he had a trumpet to blow, which is the courage to sound out the truth, the battle cry. And God gave the victory. So when you trust in God, it outweighs your fear of the enemy. And instead of playing hide and seek, you'll be expecting the enemy's defeat. So I want to bow our heads right now. And just like we did in first service, I feel like God has led this message today because there are folks who, who, if you're here on Wednesday, have been dealing with the things that they've held on to for way too long. Like the man at the pool of Bethsaida, they've been, they've been so miserable for so long, they've just accepted it. And, and God is wanting to do something new. And not only that, He didn't want you to stop with just ridding you of what you've been dealing with. He wants to make you victorious. He wants you to expect something new to trust him that he's going to turn you into that spiritual superhero in your own uh, story that, that while there's not anymore the Bible being written but God is writing your story every day and he wants to do what he's done in Gideon's life and yours so before the believers begin to recommit to the Lord that they're going to give up their fears they're going to trust them they're going to step out if there's anyone here while everybody's uh, got their heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's someone here that you're saying, I, I've either walked away from my relationship with the Lord at some point, I haven't communed with Him in forever, and I need to recommit my life to the Lord. I need to, to, to revisit that, that covenant I made with Him, and I need to, to renew it. Or you're here this morning, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus as my King, as my Lord, my Savior, and I want to do that today. If you're here, I just want you to slip your hand up Surely I want to pray for you and know how to pray for you. Amen. Thank you. Believers, pray with me. And if you raise your hand, I want you... There's not a magic prayer to this. God wants you to pray from your heart about what's on your heart. But I'm just going to pray a prayer that you can pray along if you're not sure how to pray. Scripture tells us that if we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we are saved, that we are going to turn away from our sin and follow Christ. So just pray this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to save my soul. I've been trying so hard to live on my own, and I need you to be my king. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, believers, I just want to take a few more moments.
just settle in your heart. Let, let the word that we've heard today settle in. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to, to react in some way, maybe it's for this week to make some changes. Maybe it's that you need to come down to the altar and spend time with Him. But whatever it is, I want you to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. So we're going to just take a few moments of silence before we close and give you a chance to respond in whatever way you're being prompted. Now, Lord, I pray you would go with us, that, God, that this message wouldn't stop here. That, Lord, independent of the delivery, Lord, your word never falls to the ground. Uh, useless, Lord, that your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That, God, it's, it's like the surge in a scalpel that right now it's beginning to, to change the very person that we are. And I pray that each person would carry this with them now and and meditate on it, and that, God, you continue to bring this word back to their hearts. They may draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Love y'all, and have a blessed Sunday.